You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 25 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, and more. We're recording on Thursday, July 16th, 2015. I'm Victor Marks. I'm your host. And with me, we've got managing editor Neil Hughes. Hi, Neil. Hey, guys. How's everything going? Amazing. And also joining us is the illustrious Daniel Aaron Dilger. Hi, Dan. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for joining us from the West Coast. Going to launch right ahead into the news. Yesterday, a new iPod Touch was announced, and it has an A8 CPU, 8 megapixel camera, and it comes in new colors. Neil, you are all over this story. Tell me about what's new. It's pretty surprising they went with the A8 processor. Um, I don't think that anybody expected that they were going to go with the latest processor. Um, that's the same chip that you're going to get in a new iPhone 6. That's the flagship chip. So it's underclocked a little bit, runs a little slower, but that's to be expected because it's um, a smaller battery in the iPod Touch. But it's also a lower resolution screen, so the, the cost to um, the performance may not be um, as significant as some might think. Uh, but they also upgraded the camera, and um, it's actually, for $200, a pretty nice little device. I mean, I don't think anybody expected it to be this compelling of a device. You remember, like, a few years ago, they would sell, the low-end one was, like, 250 or 230 and even then it had an even worse chip in it than uh, than the, the flagship ones. But now, even the 199 device at that price has an A8 chip, and that's pretty impressive. Do we know anything about the amount of RAM that's in this device? It's one gig. It is. It's the same chip as in the iPhone 6. So let me ask you, who is this device for? And, and Dan, if you've got some thoughts on this, chime in too, please. I mean, who who should buy this iPod? Originally, I think the, the market for the iPod Touch were people who are planning to migrate towards an iPhone. I, you know, when it first came out, there were a lot of people that couldn't get an iPhone or, you know, it seemed like a lot of money because a lot of people were using little Nokia phones that were much cheaper. And after, there's a lot of stories on the Internet about people talking about using the iPod Touch and realizing this is what I want on my phone, too. So I think it used to play a much bigger role in being kind of a stepping stone to getting people on iOS. Today, most people are pretty familiar with iOS. And if, if they're doing something else, it may be because either they like something in Android or because it's cheaper or something, but it's a very similar experience at least on the face of it. Who's the iPad for now? I guess parents who have kids that they want a device, but they don't uh, want to have have to pay a, a full mobile subscription for it. That's kind of the main difference between it and the basic iPhones, is that it doesn't have cellular. So this is for uh, a device that parents would purchase for their kid, and the decision they make is one between, do I get an iPod or do I get an iPad? Well, yeah, it's like kind of like a small iPad. The the other thing is it's kind of more optimized for games. There's a lot of games you can do on your iPad, but it's a big, a little different. iPad is almost like a small computer, where this is a much more mobile device. So you see little kids playing on things like this. Another thing people have talked about is, you know, without, even though it doesn't have um, a cellular mobile or modem on it, <clears throat> there's a lot of VoIP apps that you can use, including Apple's FaceTime Audio and FaceTime. So you can use it as a, a phone in some applications. I would imagine businesses could use it as, as a phone in, in ways that they wouldn't have to be paying a subscription for every device. I did a uh, feature yesterday uh, comparing. It, it started out when we were talking about it before I started to write it, it kind of as a joke, but then it became a little more serious, comparing the new iPod Touch to an iPhone 5S. Um, obviously, for most people, you're not going to replace an iPhone with a uh, with a iPod Touch because it doesn't have cellular data connection on the go and a lack of GPS and some other stuff that kind of holds it back. But this new device, this new iPod Touch, has a better processor and a comparable camera to an iPhone 5S. And if you look at the prices, you can get a 16-gig iPod Touch for $200. You can get a 16-gig iPhone 5S for $550. <laughs> so uh, for what you get for the price um, with a faster processor, no less, um, and a smaller form factor, it's a pretty interesting device. And uh, you know, on the podcast a few weeks ago, Shane had talked about how for a time um, he was actually uh, traveling with a flip phone and an iPod Touch because there was so much ubiquitous Wi-Fi where he was. Um, and he was able to you know, do things like send messages and stuff from his iPod Touch from most places. 
Uh, that's an interesting case. Obviously, it's not going to apply to most people. But like Dan said, maybe some businesses, a device that won't leave a building that would always be connected to Wi-Fi or something like that. Um, and th- this is a pretty interesting device for uh, a wide range of people. It's not going to sell as many as the iPhone, obviously, but not just kids, maybe developers that want to test stuff out too. Um, this uh, also has the M8 motion chip, so it'll track steps and uh, how many floors you've climbed in a day and integrate with HealthKit and all that. So a great fitness device, um, maybe for somebody that doesn't want to bring their iPhone to the gym. I know, like, personally, when I go out for runs now, I found that the um, the Apple Watch is actually better at stepping, uh, ca- uh, counting steps than I expected. And it's also better at uh, tracking distance than I expected uh, for when I run. So I bring just my watch and I don't bring my phone because I don't want to get text messages and phone calls while I'm out running. I want to focus on having a workout and then be done with it. So maybe for people that don't want the watch but want to have something they can listen to music to and, and count their steps and that sort of stuff, uh, I think that there there's still a market for this device, especially with how powerful it is. I was thinking it might be a, a good developer target device, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's hard for developers, especially developers who aren't making a whole lot of money on the App Store, but do it as a part of uh, furthering their career or do it as a part of uh, you know a side job. You don't want to buy all the iPhones and all the iPads all the time, but this is a, a like you say a fairly comparable well-equipped device and it's affordable it makes a good development target and for music hounds if you don't have let's say your iPod classic dies you can't buy one anymore those were 160 gigs now you've got a 128 gig option i mean that's a lot of music that's more than most people are carrying around plus some apps and other stuff you know just a dedicated media player in your car or something like that uh, I think there's still a sizable market for this, and that's why Apple decided to kind of go for broke and, and put some uh, put 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 a great chip in there. But let's not forget that uh, uh, you know there's a new iPhone coming out in a few months, right? And a lot of people are looking at this and saying maybe they'll take all those parts and they'll do something like uh, maybe the $99 phone won't be the iPhone six. But maybe it'll be uh, the iPhone 6 parts crammed into a 4-inch screen. Maybe that's the new iPhone 6C, so to speak. What do you guys think is going to happen with the iPhone this fall? Are they going to move the 6 down and sell it at $99? Or are they going to do like they did? Because I wonder, you know, when I look when the iPhone 5C came out, right, they replaced the iPhone 5. And I think maybe one of the reasons that they did that is because the iPhone 5S and the iPhone 5 were going to look pretty much identical, and they wanted to differentiate between the $199 and $99 price point. Right. So what if they did the same thing this year, and they took the iPhone <clears throat> they took the iPhone 6 components, and they kind of crammed them into an iPhone 5S-sized device with a 4-inch screen? What if they did something like this current iPod Touch has already done, essentially? Just give it a little bit thicker uh, body and put a cellular radio in there and, and a better camera. And you've got your iPhone 6C right there with, with the same colors there you have on the iPod Touch. And, and you want to keep it at that form factor size? You want to keep that lower resolution screen? Yeah, I, I mean, it's the same screen. It's a retina display you have on the same pixel density as the iPhone 6. You, you are mean, a fan I, of that five? smaller size, aren't you? Uh, uh, no, uh, same it's the same pixel density, meaning 327 pixels per inch. Obviously, it's a higher resolution screen because it's a larger screen on the iPhone 6. But they're, aren't they both the exact same pixel density, pixels per inch? Uh, no, this is this is a 5 resolution, right, on the iPod Touch? Yeah, it, it's So the it's like 700,000 700, pixels as opposed to the 6 is a million Right, pixels. with a smaller screen, but the density, it's, it's like 327 okay. pixels per inch. I think they're the same. All right, so let me let me ask it this way. I'm going to add, and, and we'll just do it really quickly. So, Neil, what would you wish for out of an iPhone 6C, the low-cost, entry-level iPhone, it, suppose they introduce a new device for it? What I would personally wish for is the latest and greatest technology in a 4-inch phone, but I'm not going to get that. Um, I think what you will see is what you see in the current iPod Touch, which is an A8 processor, basically the same camera that you have in the iPhone 6 currently, but just shrunk down to a four-inch size. And I think that would be a really compelling device. And it also allows them to differentiate the um, uh, the $99 price point from the $199. You want the bigger phone, you spend a little more. And you want an even bigger phone than that, you spend $299 for the 6S Plus or whatever. Um, I would not be surprised if those same five uh, colors that you have for the new iPod Touch, six if you include product red, uh, and the same design and same uh, basic look, um, are on a iPhone 6C with the same parts. 
Dan, what's your wish list? I agree with what he's saying about, I, I think there's a, a market for people who want a four inch or, you know, a, a I guess it's a four-inch phone, the, the iPhone 5 form factor. I was really drawn to I really like the, the form factor of the smaller phone, the, the iPhone 5S. Um, but when you use it, you want a bigger screen. I mean, when you have the bigger screen, you're like, well, I wish this was a little bit smaller because I could get my hand around it better. But I think the, the high-resolution, the iPhone 6, delivers a better thing overall. And I think going forward, they're... They're going to kind of aggressively move in that direction. I don't think they're going to be dragging along a four. However, the fact that they did this to the, the iPod Touch, um, the cost of putting an A8 in it isn't a big deal because it costs Apple the same to print whatever. So the, the latest chip, they would use it everywhere if they could. The, the downside to using it is that they have to redesign things to make it work. So if they're going to go through the effort of redoing it, uh, might as well use the latest one they have. I, I disagree with you on that one because why didn't they put the A8 in the iPad Mini last year? They put the A, they they kept the same chip in there. It's the A5 or whatever it is, it, and it's, because they didn't re- redo it. Well, they did. They put a Touch ID on it, which meant calling for a secure element. Yeah, they're, other they're stuff. charging. So that that that's the biggest ripoff in in Apple's product lineup right now is that four hundred dollar iPad Mini three. You can get the exact same iPad with the same screen, same size, same chip, same specifications. Just lacking Touch ID for $100 less for, for uh, uh, the $300 model. If you, if you spend $100 more, all you get is Touch ID. That was a huge mistake on their part. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. that It is a different situation because they, have, they had so many tiers. I mean, they basically right. wanted to make three buckets of iPod minis, iPad minis because um, it would make the broadest possible options for people. Right. And, and they had to differentiate it with some kind of feature. You can't just have the low end being better than the higher end because no one's going to by the higher end. So part of it is like a calculated, how do we make people who are going to pay more, pay more for the better one while still having a cheaper one available for people who can't pay more than this. So, so then I think what, that's what was there. What do you do with the iPhone lineup this year then though, right? Because um, some people were thinking before that the new so-called 6C would actually be the free phone, on free on contract, would replace the... Um, would replace the low-end model, and then you'd have all phones with NFC, um, Touch ID, and Apple Pay and all that. That was the thought. But I'm thinking that they keep the 5S around for one more year. It gets Touch ID, but if you want Apple Pay, you got to spend at least $100 for your phone on contract. That's what well, I, I could, think. I could see the, like the, uh, the 5S being turned into a 5C. Yeah. Giving it Touch ID and... Do you think they would add Apple Pay uh, uh, to a legacy device, or do you think that they would just kind of gradually phase that out? I don't know. It really depends on the volume because, like a lot, what I was meaning about going with a you know the chips, the pricing of things doesn't matter that much. It's more the effort of creating a whole new design and ramping up to build it versus how much volume you're going to sell. Right. So if you don't have that volume to to amortize your costs, then it doesn't really make sense. But if you're doing a high-volume, low-end product, you can make a really great product. And over time, it's paying for itself. It's paying for the effort that you made to design it because it's making enough money for that in volume. I think it's interesting that everybody thought that the iPhone 5C was some sort of a failure or a flop or whatever. And yet here we are with it uh, about to be phased out of the lineup inevitably. And everybody is kind of expecting that there's going to be some sort of equivalent replacement of uh, a lower-end phone with some colors. So clearly it wasn't that big of a failure for them. Yeah, it was actually extremely successful. Like outside right. of the, outside of the top iPhones, it was right. <laughs> it was more compelling than a lot of Android phones. And they hit price points that they weren't hitting before. Uh, and now they are selling phones cheaper than they were before. People wanted a cheaper iPhone. Well, now they have it. It's four hundred fifty dollars phone now. I could see them just carrying it forward too. Just keeping just the five the current five C around. Right, continuing to sell it. It's every year it gets a little bit cheaper to build. I and, like the five C. I think it's a yeah. great looking phone. I actually. Um, prefer the design of the 5C over the 5S. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have downgraded to it just because of the specifications and stuff. You know, I want the faster processor and the better camera. But I think the 5C is a great looking phone. It does seem to be pretty popular too. I see it around a lot. Yeah, yeah I see it everywhere. It's it, I think it's I think it's been a bit, pretty big success for them, and I think that's why you're going to see uh, whether it's a four inch phone or a 4.7 inch phone. I think you're going to see a new uh, color lineup uh, this year again. And I think that the new iPod Touch is a hint of what's to come. I'm going to go ahead and put a stake in the ground, and, and this is my marker. I'm standing on this. 
I want every iPhone in the lineup to have Apple Pay. I want them to have Touch ID across the board. I don't care if it's a, a, a low-dollar C model with a plastic back all the way up to the very most expensive iPhone you can get. I want them all to have Apple Pay, and I want it as soon as possible. <laughs> Are you going to get a free on-contract phone? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that at all, but what I am saying is that I, I like both the convenience and the security of Apple Pay, and I want as much migration towards that to happen as quickly as possible. Were you disappointed there's no Apple Pay in the new iPod Touch? That's interesting. I, I am from the standpoint of my off-the-wall use. You know, I used to travel very frequently, and when I would travel, I would take a second phone and put a local SIM in it. And there were times when I took an iPod Touch and a cellular hotspot to, to Wi-Fi hotspot, and right. I'd drop a SIM in that, and I'd use the, the iPod Touch as if it were a, a stupid iPhone um, without the cell modem. And being able to use applications like FaceTime or Signal means that you can pretty much conduct any kind of conversation you need to conduct on an iPod Touch if you've got that, that data modem there. I recognize that's not the market for the thing, um, <laughs> and I don't expect it to ever be the market for the thing. So that means that Touch ID is relegated to online purchases and, and in-app purchases. I've used Touch ID in precisely two apps, and they are Uber and Lyft. And uh, I just don't see that as being the thing that makes it required for an iPod Touch or an iPad for that matter. And yet, it's going in the iPads. So I hate Touch ID on my iPad. I hate it. I like how my, it unlocks the, the device, but for unlocking the device, that, that seems like, it you It ruins know. the smart cover. I used to open up my uh, my smart cover and in the, in the iPad would automatically unlock. Now I can't do that unless I want to turn off Touch ID. But here's the thing. I like using Touch ID for uh, downloading apps and making purchases. Oh, God, I, yes. I just, I just don't care about unlocking the screen because the iPad doesn't leave my house anyhow. I wish they would make it so you could have Touch ID used in more uh, customizable ways. I think that would be a good thing. You want the software control for whether or not the mute switches rotation lock. Yes, exactly. Do something like that. <sighs> it's 2010 all over again. <laughs> <laughs> they think, cave on this stuff eventually anyhow. I mean, I can take photos with the volume button now on the iPhone, right? Yes, 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 you can they do evolve. that. Well, that was kind of a just a, a quirky omission. We're just going to do it this way. Where what you're talking about with Touch ID well, on the iPad? Well, no, they used, to, they used to kick apps out of the App Store for using yeah. the volume button yeah. as the shutter. Camera yeah, Plus was one of those. But that was um, mainly <clears throat> stylistic. It's like, well, we're going to do it this way, and you have right. to do it this way. Whereas saying Touch ID can't be turned off so that you can open open your device, but then you can still authenticate yourself in making purchases and stuff, um, that's sort of a security problem. If you let people set up something that doesn't make sense, then then you're creating a new flash. Then, then you're Android. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I realize it'll probably never get fixed, but I really liked the smart unlock feature, and it's still built into the latest iPads, but it's kind of an all-or-nothing situation, and I wish that you could have Touch ID just applied to your Apple ID and its password and not necessarily the lock screen of the device. Yep. Apple coming up with all these, there's too many features, and you have to pick between them, and it's just really terrible. So <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you push technology too far. Too you far, can't right? see it. You can't see it through the miracle of podcasting yet, but I am shaking my fist in the air at this very moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is at this time that I need to talk a little bit about something that happened to me this past week, and, and it's in relation to our, our dear sponsor who is helping bring this podcast to you, our dear listener. So, uh, this past week, my car was broken into in my driveway, and you know, the, the, not, nothing serious happened, right? People went through my glove box, and they took some of the documentation from my glove box, and it's, it's very frustrating and very annoying, but it brought up a conversation that I've had with, with my wife here at the house going back several years now, almost, almost seven years now. I used to travel all the time, and every time I would travel, my wife would look at me and she'd say, why don't we have an alarm system? You're going, you're leaving the house, you're going away for a trip. There's no security system here. Why don't you have that? And after this event happened in my driveway, I got the conversation again. Why don't we have a security system in the house? And 
you know, the truth is that I've, I've held off doing it because the security systems that are out there are all proprietary stuff. They only work with their own things. They require a phone line or they are stuck in the past and they have a huge subscription fee. And, you know, I don't need someone coming and drilling hose holes in the walls to run their own wires and do their own thing only to find out that a couple of years down the road, it's time to change to a new one and none of the old stuff carries forward. You throw it all out. It, it, it's just seems like the industry for that kind of thing has been stuck in the past in the old ways. And I hate it. I just do. It's not good enough. And so our sponsor this week is Alarm.com. And I can't use that argument anymore because Alarm.com is not stuck in the past. Alarm.com, when they uh, showed it last in March, we talked about this last week, they showed it as a part of the Apple Watch keynote when Kevin Lynch was able to get a text from his daughter, respond to the text from the watch, view the camera of the garage door, and actually open and close the garage door from the Apple Watch. So clearly, they're not stuck in the past. The future. The future. Yes. They, um, they're a cloud-based smart home technology provider. They've got 20 million different devices, 25 million different devices and sensors on their platform, and they have 2.3 million subscribers. So it's not like I would be going it alone if I went ahead and installed this thing. And I don't have to worry about the phone line because, like many people, we don't have a regular landline anymore. We've cut that off, and they use a cell modem. So there is a subscription fee, there is a monthly fee that pays for that dedicated cell mono phone and, and dedicated cellular line and monitoring, but it's cool because they have a native app to control the phone, to control the home, they have a smart thermostat as a part of it, so it's not just security, it's, it's also a part of this whole connected home, smart home thing, thermostat, lighting, garage door opener, cameras, and security, and it's... it's really a, a move forward into a more useful thing than just the alarm system. They they have location-based automation in there. So when I leave the house, they can adjust lights to make sure it looks like I'm home. They can do these things. And it's not something that I have to get in a box and install myself, which, you know, I'd be confident doing that, but not everyone is. They have over 5,000 trusted security professionals across the United States. So... Thanks to the events of this past week and getting my car broken into, I'm beginning to think about this kind of thing a lot more seriously. And Alarm.com is present in my mind because they are definitely taking part in the future and moving this kind of thing forward and out of the ways of the past. So if you're interested in smart home, if you're interested in alarms, if you're interested in security at all, sign up for the smart home security this month and receive a free smart thermostat. Go to Alarm.com to find your local security dealers and enter the promo code Apple. Alarm.com. Safe home, smart living. And we thank them for sponsoring the show. Guys, thank you for letting me do that. Can we talk about this uh, rumor about the iPad Pro and Apple being cautious about ordering it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's Digitimes, so uh, take it with a oversized grain of salt, I suppose. But it wouldn't surprise me if it ended up being true. I, Apple clearly took a conservative approach with the watch when they launched um took their time bringing it to market pre-announced it uh you know uh, supplies were pretty limited at launch and that's just part of them figuring out the demand especially when you look at the watch and all the different configurations since it comes as a total package with a custom choice of watch band and and uh, color and style and all that stuff so uh an ipad pro not going to be as difficult to produce probably but uh, they probably don't know what the market for it is yet either. I'm sure they have some idea, but they're not going to know until they announce and launch. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it was constrained at launch. A lot of Apple products are pretty constrained at launch. Right, and that hasn't hurt them any. This is not something that's that's been a detrimental situation for them. So I I agree with you. I think this is kind of a non-issue. Yeah, and you're, I mean, Tim Cook is a, is a supply chain master. He knows how to do this stuff pretty well. So... They could do a limited launch for late 2015 for a product that they don't know how big the market is going to be, and then ramp up uh, production of that accordingly. It, you know, it, it's probably not realistically probably not going to uh, ignite the tablet market in ways that I'm sure someone Wall Street would hope for. But I think uh, a larger iPad kind of focused on uh, educational slash business use uh, could be a a pretty decent market for them. Right. So 
the second rumor then is the the bogus sounding rumor about the iPad Mini, and the the bogus sounding rumor about the iPad Mini. Check me if I've got this right. Is that the rumor says Apple's going to launch an end of life iPad Mini model and the iPad Pro? They're going to forgo doing any kind of iPad Air three. So we get a really big iPad and we get one last iPad Mini, and that's it. And basically, what's left? Big iPad. No. Um, tell me right. No. Straighten me out. It's that's the stupidest thing that I've heard in a while. No. Can I say it more stupidly? I, <laughs> <laughs> did first I, of all, did I get the rumor correct? Is that what people are saying? Essentially, okay. who knows? Who knows? It's just it's, it sounds like just, the early two thousands power books. You know, they just, came out with the big and the small. Yeah, yeah. And they left the fifteen kind of just hanging out for a while, and then they redid it too. It's stupid. I think when you look at the iPad lineup, right? You can compare. There are a lot of parallels to the Mac. Um, as Dan just kind of alluded to. And there are going to be some changes to the lineup inevitably, as Apple has done over the years, but not every Mac that Apple sells is uh, the, uh, you know, is a huge market, but they want to they hit all those markets. They, sell, they still sell the Mac Mini. They still sell the iMac, even though the majority of laptops they sell are MacBooks. Is there still a 17-inch um, MacBook, or is that gone? No, I think that's, that's gone. gone, yeah. The, the, the majority of computers they sell are laptops, though, right? Right. And, I mean, even this new MacBook, I'm sure it's selling decently, but it's probably not outselling a MacBook Pro or maybe even the, the $1,000 MacBook Air. It may not even be outselling that. So, you know, they're gonna, they want to reach all these markets and all these segments. And so when you look at the iPad and the upcoming iPad Pro, I think you need to think in more of a Mac sense than an iPhone sense. And they want to hit all those markets. Um, are they going to end of life uh, the s- current sizes of iPads when they're already selling like 15 million a quarter of those? I mean, how stupid would they be? Well, I mean, the conjecture is if you if you end of life that model, then people will pay more money for the bigger one. I, I think that's a stupid conjecture because yeah, it doesn't really make sense. You know, so, so yeah. you're, you're a parent. What do you buy for your kid? You go buy an iPad Mini, and if right. you're really cheap, you go buy the $249 one that's been discounted at Target and go home very happy, right? And then you buy another one when it's next year. And well, it, Apple's been very uh, uh, pretty interesting in their iPad approach because they've really been testing different market segments with the iPad. If you if you look at the history of the product, it's very interesting. It has not stuck to a specific uh, annual release cycle. You had the iPad 3 come out, um, and then the iPad 4 very soon after it. Um, the iPad mini, and well, then we were just Well, part of that was the about, push to lightning, right? That was get everything right, off of 30 pin and, as fast well, as and, possible. And the, and the third gen was also underpowered for the retina display. There, But there's then you look at how long the iPad 2 stayed alive, right? That thing was around for forever. Right, but that stayed um, around because education demanded it. Right, and then they finally axed it, and then um, and then uh, last year they kept the first generation iPad Mini around for I think two hundred fifty dollars, and then they axed it earlier this year because clearly it wasn't selling as much as they hoped. But again, that was them kind of experimenting with what if we hit this like two hundred fifty dollar price point? Uh, how how big's the market there? What can we get? So uh, they're definitely doing some experimenting, keeping products around. Uh, canceling some a little sooner than you might expect. I mean, I don't think anyone expected even even if the iPad Mini uh, 250 wasn't selling very well. I don't think anyone expected them to kill it. You know, uh, six months into it being available, um, th- that was certainly a surprise. I don't think anyone expected the iPad 2 to stay around as long as it did. And then they brought back the iPad 4 after they killed the iPad 2 after they had stopped production of the iPad 4. So they've been very fluid in how they've kind of uh, grown and evolved that that uh, product lineup. So could they make some changes? Yeah. Are they going to end of life uh, two models that are currently selling uh, 15 plus million a quarter? Are you crazy? No way. No way. All right. There's a lot of experimentation like you're talking about that Apple does with, I think you see it more on the iPad than a lot of other products they do. Um, but it's very controlled experimentation. Yeah. I mean, they make, they make the most tablets on earth still right. for, for a vendor. And they only have a couple different form factors and a couple model variations. Where if you look at Samsung, for example, makes an infinite number of everything, <laughs> and you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that even knew what they were. I mean, right. you, have to, you have to go to a wiki page and like look through the lists of things that they sell, and um, that's not working out for them. They're not selling a lot. They're not making a lot of money. They're not, you know, and part of it is because there's no strategy behind it. So a lot of times when Apple's come out with a new 
product or form factor. They've added apps or something, you know, trying to sell it. Like with the first, when the iPad first came out, they was they were kind of selling it as here's a productivity device and here's our i iWork apps that we brought to it. Right. And the next year it was media apps, which maybe worked a little bit better. Things like GarageBand and iMovie. Um, so I think if they come out with a bigger device, they're going to have to sell it. You can't just like float it out there and say, "Hey, here's a bigger iPad." Right. Because who's going to buy it? But if you have specific things that it does, it needs kind of to have a reason for the, existing. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think but the iOS nine changes. Right. The iOS nine changes help support the reason I am for existing. So happy about that. You have no idea. I've been because when the iPad first came out, it was like, "Oh, this is great. Bigger screen. You can do different things with it." And they made a few steps to differentiate the iPad. They had the smart cover, which I love, uh, the five-finger gestures, which are great. And then it all stopped. It was like they got so caught up in redesigning iOS. And it was just – it literally became just a big iPod Touch for a few years there where it was didn't do anything else other than have a bigger screen, obviously. But now these iOS 9 iPad-specific features make me so happy because they're really taking advantage of – uh, the larger screen and and uh, really adding to the productivity of the device, and it's really making it a more compelling laptop replacement than it was before. It, it felt like for a few years there, as the sales kind of faltered and the iPad was kind of, I mean, I don't want to say it wasn't doing well, it's outselling everybody else, but it just felt like it wasn't a focal point for Apple. And with iOS 9, the fact that they have these iPad-specific features in the OS, I'm very, very excited about. So let me stop you right there. I want to ask you a question. Sure. And the question I want to ask is, what tasks are there that prevent you from going iPad only? Right now you have a MacBook. Right. What would get you to get rid of the MacBook? Well, I mean, let's be honest. I, I tried working with a just for a day, um, just for an experiment, working on a Microsoft Surface. I would not wish that upon my worst enemy. Um, <laughs> multitasking on these devices is awful, and it's it's slightly better uh, in like with SlideOver and some things that they've done on the iPad. But there's only so many so many ways you can do it with a touchscreen and a smaller device and stuff like that. These devices are not meant for you know, hard core, serious computing. It's meant for, uh, you can certainly get some serious computing done on it, but it takes a little bit more work. You can get more done on a Mac, and that's just the reality of it. So what, what I task? would never be able to, well, I mean, right now I have uh, probably 15 tabs open in my browser. I have like two instant messaging apps, uh, a mail app, an RSS feed, and a lot of it's in my face at the same time. I just can't do that on an iPad, and that's okay the iPad is a very different style of device, and most people aren't using their computer as intensively as I have. You know, I've got a brand new MacBook Pro here with 16 gigs of RAM and all that stuff. So, it, you know, it, it's a very different device for a different purpose. But if we're looking at the future of the iPad, right, and the idea is that um, it's a new way of computing, uh, use the Steve Jobs analogy of trucks uh, and uh, cars being PCs and, and iPads and tablets. It's got to grow and it's got to change and there have to be more ways to use it. You can't just have a MacBook in your product lineup. You have to have an iMac. You have to have a Mac Mini. You have to have a few different sizes. You need an ultra-portable laptop. You need a more powerful laptop. And so I think that's the direction where you're seeing the iPad go now. And the software is going to have to catch up a little bit more just to differentiate it a little more from the iPhone. Uh, and it's getting there. And iOS 9 is a, is a great step in that direction. But I don't see an iPad ever for me personally replacing my work machine but for my personal computing machine an ipad definitely can replace it and in many ways it already has cool dan do you have an ipad i do i don't use it very much I, i'm i'm primarily on a computer because i grew up with a computer <clears throat> and like i'm like he's saying it's it's not just a more um complex ui that lets you do a lot of things at once mm -hmm. there's also the requisite power to drive something like that and so the, the one of the core benefits of the ipad is not only do you not have that complexity, because some people don't like complexity, you also don't have to have the horsepower, which means you don't have to have as much battery, which means you can come up with a much lighter, thinner, <clears throat> a much lighter, thinner device. You're targeting a totally different demographic of people. Um, my mom could figure out an iPad. If she's working on a computer, I have to help her every step of the way, because just too much going on, and just she's not interested in all that stuff. So I, I think. I don't think Apple's trying to make, everybody keeps talking about convergence, you know, like 
analysts and pundits are talking about how everything is going to go together in the future. And, you know, they talked about, it's, it's kind of like when they talk about the internet, the television is like, oh, they're going to come together and be chocolate and peanut butter. It's like, no, they're not. They're very different things. You sit down on the internet, you're trying to learn something. I mean, it used to be. And if you sit in front of the television, you're tuning out and... Well, Let's be honest. If you're going on the a, internet, you're complaining on a comment section. It's, that's what it's a distribution method. That's, I mean, that's... <laughs> I, but, I, you know, it's not convergence, like Dan's saying. We're not going to have one device that does everything. We're going to have a bunch of devices that do what we need at certain times. And is an iPad Pro going to be for everybody? And we'll know, just like an iPad Mini isn't for everybody, just like some people just don't even need an iPad, right? Um, and there are some things that you need a computer for, and there are some things you need a phone for. And Apple is slowly kind of addressing those markets as they expand the product lineup. And, you know, they may find, like they did with the 17-inch MacBook Pro, that there may not be a need for some of those devices at some point as well. It's a, it's a constantly evolving space. Yeah, and I think Apple recognizes this just based on the, the fact that continuity and handoff exist, that you have more than one of these things and you move from one to the other to do things. But I have wanted an iPad that could be my sole computing device since it was announced in 2010. I have the Bridge keyboard uh, that they sent me to review. Yeah. Um, and it's really nice. It The problem with it is the size, and I don't know how you get around this, because I've used the Microsoft Surface, yeah. and it's pretty terrible because their biggest design problem is that it's all in the screen, right? Because it's hmm. a tablet. But then you have this keyboard that has no weight in it. And the design of a laptop, the reason it's called a laptop, is because you can put it on your lap. You can't put a Microsoft Surface on your lap. Yeah, I you've got to balance like, the kickstand on your knee, yeah, that, and it falls yeah, over, and, it's and, like you're, to, and you're dancing, and it's difficult because you have to <laughs> click the back of it. I just I can't get the choreographed moves down, and I'm just I'm having a problem. But it's like you know, it's, it's the it's back like flip trying, that kills it for you. You know, it's it's that flipping over backwards that gets. Yeah, it. it's like you're trying to you know balance a plate on your on your uh, lap with a fork and knife trying to eat. It's just it's not going to work. Like just get a table, man. And uh, the the surface, I feel like if you're constantly sitting at a desk or something or on a table, that's a device that might work. Um, it just doesn't work with the with that light keyboard. And so I have this bridge keyboard, and I love it. But it's it makes the iPad twice as thick and twice as heavy, so it kills yeah. a lot of the purpose of the iPad. But because it's heavy and it's thick, uh, you can put it on your lap and use your iPad like a laptop, and it feels like a small MacBook. So I love the thing. I don't know how many people want that. At that point, you might as well just buy a, a laptop probably. But if you really are that person that wants to have the best of both worlds, I love it. Because there are other ones that uh, they do like the folio style cases where you can't really remove the iPad and it kind of kills the purpose of having an yeah, iPad. Yeah, the uh, clam case kind of thing. Yeah, I, this one, you just you just pop it in there and then if you want to take it out, you just slide it out. I think it's great. Right. I use the, uh, the Apple wireless keyboard and I've used the Amazon Basics keyboard and some of the Logitech ones. I've got a Logitech one with a lightning cable on it that's really nice. But you can't put that on your lap. Nope, don't put those on the lap. Although I do have a thing that allows me to hold the uh, the iPad and the Apple wireless keyboard on my lap if I wanted to do that. But it's a little but bit I think that point, hacky, you're clunky. The, you're back but, to the Microsoft Surface. But problem. the things you, the yeah. things that are really killing me it for me are are the things like well, so in years past, in in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, I, I wanted an iPad and I wanted to do um, OmniPlan, which is right. the uh, the project management app from Omni. Omni yeah. Group. And, you know, at that time, it wasn't available. Omni has since gone ahead and introduced that. And I no longer manage large projects that have manufacturing in China. So I don't need that anymore. But it's out there now if I wanted it. So I could technically, if that were my job, I'd do it. I absolutely would. These days, if I'm trying to publish something in the Apple Insider publisher system, I don't want to do that through the browser on iPad. Right. I, I, you know, for, for sites that are managed by things like WordPress and, and other content management systems, you can use those apps and actually get your draft in, get your article in and publish from the iPad, and it works brilliantly. But our publisher system doesn't allow me to do that, and so, no, I won't. The, uh, the other thing that's holding me back right now is there's no good beginning-to-end podcast production system on iPad. And if I need to audio edit and pull in our different tracks and remove silence and do all the things that we do, I can't do that on the iPad today. And I would like to. I hate to break it to you, Victor. I think you'd be waiting a long time. <laughs> I think you better stick with your Mac. I know. I know. And someone's, someone is going to listen to this and say, I could do that. And they'll be disastrously wrong about it. But I would like for someone to try 
it, well, it, some, some of the design ideas that you're talking about in terms of having a, you know, you could imagine a, an iPad that folds in half, so you have a screen on one side and a keyboard on the other, but then you have a MacBook. No, no, I don't <clears> need that. <throat> I don't necessarily need that, although I do use the keyboard sometimes. Um, but having like, something super light, super thin that sits in your lap and can open up like a laptop and you can use it as a serious productivity tool. I mean, that's basically what they created with the new MacBook. I, I don't need the keyboard, and I don't need it to fold open. I just need to be able to do those kinds of functions, those well, you applications. you can take the keyboard off, but then it's not going to work anymore. Well, you say that. I mean, <laughs> I, I have used iMovie. I've put on a decent amount of editing for videos and things within iOS. And I like editing video on iOS better than I like doing it on the Mac, to be honest. That's yeah. true. There is something to that. iMovie on, on an iPad and iPhone is awesome. I've made some quick edits and just thrown it together and made some really cool stuff. And and that is the part that where people that dismiss the iPad and say, oh, you know, it's just a toy or whatever, they haven't sat down and used these things because they may not be the best for every task, but there are some tasks where you can do some really, really cool stuff. Or sometimes it just surprised me. Like when we were doing the podcast and I got this new uh, mic with a lightning connector, it was like, can I record the audio and do Skype at the same time? Ooh, I don't know. I just kind of went into it assuming it wasn't going to work. And lo and behold, sure enough, the recorder works in the background. Skype's in the foreground. Sounds great. Everything records. I can export the audio. It's like, huh. You know, that, that was like using a regular computer there. So I, I almost Except went into easier. it. easier. <laughs> yeah, even easier, right? So, yeah, I mean, there are some things like iMovie is a great example where you can on your phone edit together something and have it done and text message to your friends and never touch a computer. And thinking about, you know, back in the day, editing stuff on iMovie, even Windows Movie Maker and stuff, you know, in college, just trying to throw some stuff together. The ease with which you can do this stuff now is incredible. I can use iMovie on iOS happily i use imovie on mac and i want to tear my hair out and die <laughs> it's it's really that different of an experience and and personally that bad of an experience on mac that i will use imovie on ios all day long i i, I love imovie on ios it's amazing so why can't i have an audio editor that allows me to produce the podcast on ios so you need logic for uh, ipad um probably not i, I probably just need audacity for ipad have, uh, have and you tried I know, using I know I've said Band? that. Uh, you know, I have with mixed results. But then again, I have mixed results producing the podcast in GarageBand on Mac. Yeah. So there you go. Is what it is. And I know I said Audacity, which which kind of, oh my God, like I really want to use the Linux of audio editors, but it, it, it's been functioning. So why can't I have that? But maybe looks better for iOS. It actually would work really well in a touch interface now that I think of it, because the way they do audio selection for editing would totally work for touch. Just need a developer to make it. The, the, the ground has been laid there. The groundwork's been laid. They can, a developer needs to make it. Awesome. Well, I hope one of our listeners is... Uh, <laughs> Get to work. Get to work, guys. All right. So Shane had a really good opinion piece this past week. Shane, from his remote paradise island location filed a story uh, an opinion piece about how he believes he's advocating for the end of all flash he wants to get rid of adobe flash everywhere he told us how to get rid of it and and he said no one should have this thing installed ever anymore dan what do you say (laughs) he wrote that right before um was it Mozilla came out and said we're not going to support flash anymore uh both Mozilla and facebook actually facebook called for the death of it as well and Flash Flash served a purpose for certain things that just couldn't be done as easily with other tools before. And there were a lot of designers that liked it because they'd already learned it and they were invested in it. So it was kind of like Windows. Yeah. But at this point, there's there's no compelling reason to use it. And, and yet I, I still see there's a lot of... <clears throat> I have it set up on my, my browser so that it doesn't load unless you... You have click to flash ask. enabled? Yeah, so, so basically they built that into the browser. Every site I go to just wants to install Flash. It's like, what are you doing with it? Right. You're spying on me. <laughs> Running like, adverts? <laughs> what could you possibly be needing Flash for this website that's reloading a page and not doing anything? But um, yeah, I, I totally think it's... It's been needing to go for a long time. Anytime I have any problem with my browser, it's probably Flash or the Apple Insider publisher. It has some kind of memory leak in it. But yeah, generally, you're, when, anytime your browser freaks out, it's because Flash is doing something crazy. Yeah. When the fan starts kicking up and all that, it's always Flash. Yeah. Neil, you agree? Get rid of Flash? 
You know what? It's so funny because you think about back in 2010 and it was controversial that the iPad didn't have uh, uh, flash on it. And you even had people like Walt Mossberg saying, oh, it doesn't have flash. And everybody was all worked up over this. And here we are five years later and everybody is in agreement now. <laughs> it's not even controversial anymore. It's like we're done with this. Mozilla is saying that they're done with it. Facebook's ad- advising people to uninstall it. It, it. It's it's junk. It's absolute junk. I read a... Um, uh, I read a piece the other day, I think it was on Kotaku or some gaming website where they were saying, oh, when Flash is gone, all these gaming websites that have these cheap Flash games aren't going to work anymore. Who cares? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, is this like, is this our big problem? Is is these these time-wasting games that were made for free aren't going to run anymore? It's, it's a national nightmare. You know, <laughs> it's gotten, it's gotten got- so bad now that Adobe is going to have to make a statement or do something because the amount of security issues that cropped up in the last few weeks are just insane. And it's gotten to the point now where the only reason that you would install Flash on your computer is because you got a death wish. You you just you just want to run into these security issues. I don't know why anybody anybody would would want to expose themselves to this. At least use Click to Flash or Chrome or something that protects you. Okay, so that's a good point because that's that's what our listeners really need to know is what do you yeah. do if you have Flash on your Mac and you've decided now is the time to get rid of it. So, so right. Dan's using Click to Flash. You just mentioned Click to Flash. What is Click to Flash? It's a it's a browser plugin, but uh, Safari does it by default now, um, where it won't allow uh, Flash elements until you click on them and stuff like that. Too, um, Apple started doing that as a security measure. Apple was on the forefront of this a long time ago. They stopped. I think it was like 2011. They stopped uh, pre-installing Flash on Macs, and that was controversial at the time too. And now, lo and behold, here we are, four or five years later, and everybody's like, oh, maybe. Maybe Steve Jobs had a point there about Flash because it, it's kind of things have gotten pretty bad right now. So, so what do you do if you really do need Flash, but you don't want to install a Flash from Adobe? Run Google Chrome. It has uh, Flash built in and is secure, secured as it could be. Ish. Um, well, ish. yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's Earth. better than running. It's better than running native Flash. We'll put it that way. Okay. Uh, if you have to, uh, what I do is I have. Um, uh, a, I, I have Chrome installed on my Mac, and I'll open it up if I really need to and just uh, copy the URL over there. All right. And where can people get the uninstaller for Adobe Flash from? From Adobe? Right. So first of all, the first thing is we have on our site Shane's really well-written article yeah. that has links to the appropriate uninstallers for the different levels of OS ten. If you're using 10.5 and later that we have a link to one installer. If you're still on Tiger or Leopard 10.4 and 10.5, we have another link to the separate install uninstaller for that. So check the show notes, protect yourself, check the show notes, read the article, uninstall flash, use click to flash or Chrome, or simply go without. It's about time. It, it kind of is. I mean, there are sites out there that use flash and, they should move on. And the only way they're going to be compelled to move on is when the major browsers simply stop supporting it. And it's it, starting. That's, that's, it's, that's the future is, you yeah, know, the tides are turning on this. It's done. You know, it, it's, it's written. Adobe needs to come out and make an announcement that they're going to end of life flash and the world needs to move on and be better for it. Right. And Facebook's guy was Facebook CTO was saying that Adobe needs to announce it and there needs to be a, a kill date within the browsers so yeah. that everyone obeys all at the same point. And yep. I think I don't know that that's even necessary. I think it's a nice a way of hoping for an outcome. But I think if all the browsers independently stopped doing it, that it would come about fast enough, even if it wasn't coordinated. All the Silverlight fans are, are very sad, Well, right? Silverlight's dead, too. Silverlight's yeah. been uh, deprecated for a while now. And, you know, I ran into, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing some contracting work, and I ran into a application that required Silverlight. And Seriously? Oh, my God. Someone used Silverlight? There is an enterprise-level application called CityWorks, and CityWorks is this giant thing that is a a gis based system where in a municipality they have all the assets they have every trash can known to man every recycling bin known to man every street sewer street sign stoplight whatever you know public works solid waste services public utilities everything you can think of and it's all mapped out and all tied into this and when something needs service they 
create a service request and a work order, and someone goes out and fills the pothole. Or Wait a minute, you're telling me that a government operation is not cutting edge? Shocking. I'm telling you that there are tons of installations of, of this software across many, many municipalities across North America, all relying on Silverlight running in uh, usually Firefox, sometimes Chrome. Well, good riddance to that. Flash has one foot in the grave. It'll get buried next to uh, 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 Macromedia. Uh, uh, Director, <laughs> shock, Shockwave. Shockwave, yeah, Shockwave. <laughs> Director. And, and Real Player and everything else that sucked and needed to go away. Goodbye. Amen. We have one last article on today's list. iPhone 6 versus Galaxy S6. There were these gaming benchmarks that came out, and GameBench showed that the iPhone 6 beat the S6 in game performance and had better-looking graphics. Now, if you're an iPhone fan and you just like having good iPhone news, that's no surprise. But clearly, it was to some people. So, Dan, can you talk a little bit about this? Um, yeah, back in April, we I did the first... Um, Comparisons because we've been looking at earlier phones, starting with the 5S and looking at other Android phones and how they compared. And it, it looked like the the Galaxy S, the, the the next one, the six, should have been faster because it's a newer phone and it has a lot of hardware that they, the iPhone doesn't have. And what we found out originally was that that's not the case. The graphics are still lagging, and even though it has, for example, more RAM and uh, faster RAM and another, a variety of other advantages on paper, it wasn't actually devo- it wasn't actually delivering the same results. It wasn't as good in, in some cases. And there's since then, there was a more recently a, a set of benchmarks and, and just kind of like having it open the camera, things like that, that a site did that um, I had some criticism with because the way they did it, they were kind of exaggerating differences that didn't really matter and covering over kind of significant differences. One of the biggest problems that Samsung has been dealing with is they make displays. And so they're trying to get the fastest or the the best display on the screen that they can. And so they've always kind of pushed high resolutions and things like that on their screens. The problem is the higher resolution, that the more power required to do that and they haven't been pushing as hard in, in in the application processor they've been relying on Qualcomm and doing some of their own things that kind of a mixed bag in terms of how fast they were so it ends up with a kind of a slow engine paired to a high performance display that needs a faster engine and Apple's been able to stay ahead of the pack even with a lighter set of specifications in part because iOS is more optimized. And these latest set of benchmarks released by this company, GameBench, that not only has its own artificial benchmarks, but also went through each game and kind of looked at what was happening. And it's kind of interesting that you can't just take one game and say, this is how iOS works and this is how Android works, because every game is set up differently. So some have a, a cap, so they don't let... They, they fix the top frame rate, for example, 30 frames per second so that you're more consistently hitting 30 frames per second instead of letting it try to go faster or try to go more frames and then not be able to... That makes it hard for a good comparison, doesn't it? Yeah, but you're, every game is a little bit different. So some, some block any phones from going faster than 30 frames per second. Some only do it for iOS. Some only do it for Android. Some do it for specific models of Android phones. So when you look at comparisons, you have to kind of look at the context. It's like, is this an optimized game? Is this the game that um, a lot of people are actually using, or is this just sort of a a useful thing to to say whatever you want to have it say? So they did, they looked at a series of games. There's like a dozen different games who were all different kinds of games and, and how they worked and, and looking at what the details were. And, and some of the interesting things that they came, that they revealed was Android uses a lot more RAM than than iOS does, doing the same kind of thing. Hmm. And on a, on a number of different levels, it, there's they did a full report that's interesting to read. It's linked to in the article. I, I kind of covered some of the highlights of it, and it, it really matched with what we found before, was that not only is it the Samsung phones have so many more pixels to push that it hurts their performance, but also it looks like Samsung is really trying to get that initial number. Like when you run an artificial benchmark and it says, oh, here's the number of, here's your score. But what that number doesn't always show is how well it can sustain performance. So if you're playing a game, you don't want it to go, boom, here's, 
this is as fast as this processor can go. You want it to be able to s- sustain. Peak performance isn't the same as consistent performance. So you want consistent performance, and at the same time, you also want to have um, battery life. Because if you just turn on the processor and have it run full board, it's like, well, now you've played games for an hour and your, your device is dead. <laughs> so there's a, a number of different engineering tasks that you're trying to balance together when you create a device like this. And when you look at some of these really detailed benchmarks, there's a lot of kind of um, details that come out that show the extent of what, what Apple's doing. But they have a lot of advantages in terms of having their own operating system and having it so deeply integrated with the hardware that they develop that they can do things like metal, for example, where you're cutting out a whole bunch of overhead that's there to support a bunch of different devices because you don't make a bunch of different devices. You only have one GPU. You can optimize for it. Samsung has, they've used a half dozen GPUs with totally different architectures. So how do you optimize for that? You can't. So in a lot of ways, Apple has things easier and it's kind of building and it's allowing Apple to push one set of technologies that keep keep iterating and getting faster and better in a way that just kind of generic solutions can't keep up with. And I, I think it's interesting that you had this piece just kind of as Apple is running this new ad campaign to the if it's not an iPhone, it's not an iPhone, because they kind of highlight some of this stuff where the hardware and the software are working together, they're designed together, and Apple can get more out of the hardware because of this. It's kind of a key differentiating factor for not only the iPhone, but really Apple's entire ecosystem that allows them to offer that more cohesive experience, both for the user and kind of behind the scenes as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they what they go in the future, um, especially things like Apple TV. Is this going to turn into sort of a gaming device, or is it going to stay a media device? A lot of things Apple's working on are things that could possibly be taken in other directions, things right. like, like the advanced uh, GPUs and metal and things like that. That was actually one of our listener questions was about Apple TV, actually. So can, can you know, give us some opinion about Apple TV and where you think that's going? Well, I mean, I don't uh, – we've talked about it many times and we touched on it a little last week too where we talked about the controllers. I don't know that Apple cares that much about uh, the gaming market that they're going to go out of their way to cater to it, but they'll create a platform where developers can create games and the games can become successful. They're certainly – you know, they realize that it's important – um, and so if there's a new Apple TV coming out this year, um, which has been delayed so many times, who knows? But if it has an app store on it, you can, you can bet your bottom dollar that there are going to be games on there and there's going to be some popular ones. And they'll probably be, if they have controller support with traditional physical controllers, they'll probably be more full-featured and more traditional-style console-style uh, games on the Apple TV than you're seeing currently on iPhone and iPad. Uh, you are seeing those kind of games on iPhone and iPad now, but a lot of times they're ports like... Uh, you can get Bioshock, which is crazy to me, um, considering it's not that old of a game. But you can get the full Bioshock on your phone. You can play with touchscreen, and it sucks. But if you get a controller, it's just like playing it on an Xbox 360, which is pretty amazing. So I expect to see more games like that on a new Apple TV uh, written specifically for that platform if it comes out this year. But um, like I said, it's been delayed so many times, it's hard to say it's coming this year. I think another thing, if you look at Apple Music and what they're doing there, and think about how that could be translated into Apple TV. If you had a like the kind of rumored cable package where you're paying a little bit of money and it gives you access to a lot of things, yeah, and um, you have that all in a simple box, it's going to appeal to a lot of people. Yeah, and you I don't agree. try to do everything. You don't try to have a cable card and you know a DVR and all this other stuff on there. That's um, you just make it so that you can grab whatever you want and play it right away and. AirPlay from your other devices, and that would be a very compelling device. And this is the direction everybody's going in, this recurring uh, monthly payments kind of, that's a way to hook people into your ecosystem. Clearly, it's working pretty well for Netflix these days. Um, People give their credit card, and it keeps charging money every month, and they don't want to change it, and they use it, and some months they don't use it as much, but they just keep paying for it. This is the world that we're heading towards, and I think if Apple can make a big splash with a subscription TV service, uh, where it is uh, affordable in a way that allows you to get rid of cable um, and not break the bank in doing so, um, then I think that they're going to have a pretty easy success for them. Uh, if anybody's going to knock this out of the park, it's going to be Apple. They've got the leverage to get something done. They've got the platform already kind of laid out. And it's just a question of pricing at this point. Because if, if it's going to be $15 a channel, <laughs> that adds up pretty quick. 
Yeah, well, inertia billing is is definitely a real thing. It's it's easy to go ahead and add the subscription once and keep it for a long time. Um, if you can get you know uh, uh, the, all of your basic cable channels plus the local ones, which are already available free over the air, so why this is a difficult negotiation, I don't understand. But if you can get that to like a thirty thirty five dollar price point, um, they'll have a pretty good chance. I mean, you look at uh, Sling TV right now, and I think that's twenty dollars a month, and that includes ESPN. And like 15 other channels, that's pretty good. So uh, that that's something where I think that they would find some success. And if it was paired with some awesome hardware that also played games and and tied into the ecosystem and, and HomeKit and all that and had Siri, uh, that's a pretty compelling device. And if they make it, you'll hear about it on the Apple Insider podcast. Uh, we've got Dan with us, reporting in from San Francisco. Thanks for having me on your podcast. And Neil, managing editor. Hey, that was fun. Thanks, guys. And I'm Victor Marks. We've recorded this on Thursday, July 16th. Thank you so much for listening. Please uh, give us good reviews on iTunes.